Hey everybody, welcome again to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont Campus. My name is Brian and I'm the pastor of the Belmont Campus, Mount Hope Church, and it's good to talk to you again. This week we finished out our series called Groupthink, and each week we've been taking an assumption that we accept as a culture, and we've been asking ourselves, is this something that is really true? This week, we focus on a topic that I think is so important for us to think about in our current world. The way we answer the question that we talk about today has a dramatic impact on how we see ourselves and how we live our lives. So I hope you enjoy this, and I hope you listen closely, because I believe that God has something He would like to say to you. But let's get into our passage this morning and our sermon Like I said, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know we've been in this sermon series that we're calling Group Think. And we're talking about cultural assumptions, assumptions that we make, assumptions that we make as a culture. And we're asking ourselves, are they good assumptions or not? Are they true or are they not? And we've talked about some of those things over the past few weeks. Today we talk about what I think is the big one. What I think is the one that is really in many ways controlling our culture and affecting the way that we think and the way that we respond. You know, what we think as a culture, what we believe as a culture, is that there's one question that if we could just figure out the answer to it, we would be able to live a happy and vibrant life. In fact, we believe that there's one question that each one of us has to answer— I have to answer it for myself, and you have to answer it for yourself. And if we can just come up with the right answer to the question, then we will live a happy, fulfilled life. This is what we believe as a culture. And the question that we believe that we need to answer is, who am I? That's the important question. Who am I? And we believe if we can answer that question, if we can figure out the answer to that question, we will have a healthy and vibrant life. Now, you may think to yourself, the pastor's going to stand up there and tell us today why that's a bad question. I'm not going to tell you it's a bad question. I actually think it's a very good question for us to answer. But how we answer it, how we go about answering it, is so important. It's really a question of identity, this question. Who am I? What's my identity? How do I define that? And it's certainly a big topic in our world today. There was a time in Jesus' ministry where some people came to him and they asked him an identity question. And I want us, as we begin, to take a look at the question that they ask. Because it's along the lines of the question we ask. Who am I? What's my identity? And we're going to talk a little bit more about that, and then we'll see, remember and see how Jesus answers the question. But here's the question. It's asked there in Mark chapter 12, and they ask him this question in verse 14. Some Pharisees and leaders came to the, religious leaders came to Jesus, and we read there in the Bible that they're trying to trap him with this question. And so they come to him, and they think they're pretty smart, and they say to Jesus this. They ask him this question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them, or should we not? And this is where we all say a little prayer and hope 
that Jesus turns to the Pharisees and say, taxes are of the devil, don't pay taxes ever. But he doesn't give us that response. Here's the question, though. It's a question, actually, of identity. The Pharisees and religious leaders are coming to Jesus trying to trap him because they're Jewish people living under Roman rule. And they're asking Jesus, who are we, Jesus? Are we Romans that should be paying taxes to the Roman Caesar? Or are we Jews who are subject to no one? And they figure they have Jesus trapped because if Jesus says, pay your taxes, then they can turn all the other Jewish people against him because, look, he supports the Romans. And if he says, don't pay taxes, they can go to the Romans and say, look at this troublemaker, Jesus. He doesn't want us paying our taxes. And so they feel like they have him trapped. Essentially, they're coming to Jesus and they're saying, help us define our identity. Who are we? How do you see us? It's the same question that we answer today. And when we find someone who we feel like has unapologetically been able to determine who they are and states it boldly, they in our culture today become heroes to us. In fact, I want us to think just for a moment about two historical figures that have figured this out, figured out who they were and stood unapologetically for it. And then I want us to think a little bit about how they came to the conclusion and why they came to the conclusion. Today's the first day of October, which is hard to believe. I'm sure it's hard to believe for you. It's hard to believe for me that we're already in October. It's October 1st. And that means in 30 days, 31 days, however we want to count it, we have a big day coming, right? Someone tell me, October 31st is what? What do we do on October 3rd? Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's the celebration of the Protestant Reformation, October 31st. (laughs) And this year, this year is actually the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Reformation. So I encourage you, my kids celebrate the Reformation every year by dressing up and asking for candy. Maybe you'd want to do that too. But October 31st, 1517 is the day in the year that Martin Luther posted his 95 theses on the castle door in Wittenberg, Germany, and it ignited this huge firestorm. You see, what happened is in essence, uh, the castle door in this German town was one of the first uh, modes of social media. If you had something you wanted to talk about, you would post it there on the castle door. So you have this monk, Martin Luther, um, who did one of these things that sometimes people do today. He posted something on social media that he thought wasn't that big of a deal, and it blew up in his face. And we see that happen today in social media, and that's what happened to him. He came up with a list of 95 things where he thought... Uh, they were, there were inconsistencies with the Bible and what the church was doing. And all he wanted to do was talk about it. And so he did what you would normally do. He listed them out, 95 of them, posted on the castle door and said, good, we get to have a conversation. And it ignited a firestorm that he didn't necessarily see coming. A couple years after that, they held uh, what was called the Diet of Worms. It's spelled just like Diet of Worms, but it's very different. The Diet of Worms was a trial that Martin Luther was put on by the church to see if he should be kicked out of the church or allowed to stay. And when it came time for Martin Luther to speak, he stood up in front of the group and he kept his words very short. He said this, 
He said, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. The result of that, of course, is that Martin Luther was, at, was not asked to leave, was kicked out of the church. But here's a man who was of strong conviction, knew who he was, knew what he believed, and stood up for it. Here I stand, he said, I can do no other, God help me. And that phrase, here I stand, is a phrase that is often associated with Martin Luther. Those are words that have become almost iconic uh, when you speak about them in regards to Martin Luther. But Martin Luther isn't the only historical figure to use that phrase, here I stand. In fact, there's another person that used those words, someone who had great conviction, someone who knew exactly who they were, someone who had figured out their identity and who they were supposed to be, and uses that phrase, here I stand, just like Luther did, in a defiant way, to stand up against people who would be in opposition. This person says it a little different. They say it this way. See if you recognize these words. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Does anyone know the next three words? Let it go. Let it go. I am one with the wind and sky. Let it go. Let it go. You'll never see me cry. Here I stand and here I'll stay. Let the storm rage on. What's the last line now? The cold never bothered me anyway. There you go. That's right. The other historical figure that uses this phrase is the great historical figure Elsa from Disney movies, movie Frozen. Just as defiant, just as sure of who she is, has figured out exactly who she is, but the source of that is very different. So you have Martin Luther saying, here I stand, my conscience is held captive to the word of God. And you have Elsa saying, here I stand, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. They both stand confident in who they are. Both stand confident in their identity. But they come at it from a very different place. You see, this question of who am I? is a very important question for us to answer. But how we answer it is key. You know, there was a time that this question was answered for us. It was answered externally. In our history as people, this question used to be answered by the society you were born into or, or the status your family had. So you were born into a certain culture and a certain family, and that pretty much determined what your identity was. So if you were born a hat maker, guess what you're doing the rest of your life? You are making hats. And if you were born a tailor or smith or carpenter, things were pretty much decided for you what you were going to do with your life and how you were going to live. If your last name was Johnson, chances are you were John's son. And all of those things were determined for us by our family's position and our state in life. But things have changed over the years, and it's not all bad. It's a real good thing that we live in a culture and we live in a society 
where we can pursue individual desires and dreams. That's why many people came to this culture. That's why people came many times through Ellis Island. That's why people continue to come today. Because we live in a culture and we live in a society where we say, hey, if you want to do something, that matters. When you're 16, 17, 18 years old, dream about what you want to do and go and pursue it. There are some very good aspects to this. But our current culture has taken the pursuit of identity and the individual pursuit of identity to a new extreme. To the point that not only do we think that identity is no longer determined by externals, not about the family we were born into, not about the culture we were born into, not about any of those things. We fully believe that true identity is an eternal realization, period. We believe that if we want to figure out who we are, all we need to do is look inside of ourselves. So to answer this question, who am I? We believe answering that question is about an internal realization, looking inside of ourselves and seeing who it is that we really are. That's what we're encouraged to do. That's what we're told to do. That's what we try to do. That if we could just somehow inwardly look at our feelings and our desires and our passions and come to understand those, that we would have a good question, answer to this question, who am I? And we believe that to have a fulfilling and successful and satisfying life, we have to come up with a good answer to that question. And the only way to do it is to look inside of us and to try to come up with that answer. In fact, I read uh, just the other day an article that was on Huffington Post, and it was posted on the website two years ago, but I thought that the author summed up very well what our current culture believes. And in one of the part of the article, he said this line. He said, no one can tell you how to be true to yourself except you. And I think that very well sums up the culture that we live in. This is what we believe. You need to figure out your identity. You need to figure out who you are. And the only way to do it is to look deep inside yourself and figure out what it is. No one can tell you what it is. And in fact, if someone tries to tell you that what you've determined is your true identity is not your identity, you should fight that opposition. So it's not just about not letting anyone else tell us who we are but ourselves, but when we figure it out for ourselves, not letting anyone talk us out of it. In our culture, we hold those kind of people, the people that we believe who have come to a deep internal realization of who they are, and are willing to live it out no matter what anyone else says, those are our modern-day heroes in many cases. I want to suggest to you this morning that our assumption that answering the question, who am I, comes from an eternal realization has some very big problems with it we often overlook. In fact, there's three of them. There's three of them that I think we often overlook when we say to ourselves, you know what, figuring out the answer to this question, who am I, has nothing to do with externals. It has everything to do with an internal realization. If I just look deep inside myself, I'll figure it out. There's three problems, three issues that we have that all of us feel, but none of us are really willing to think about and talk about in our current culture. And the first one is this. 
If my identity is based on my feelings and my desires, I am trying to base my identity on something that shifts and changes over time. In fact, I'm trying to base my identity on something that, that moves throughout the course of my life. Just think about your life. How many times have your feelings about something changed throughout the course of your life? Think even simpler. How have your taste buds changed over the course of your life? There's things you used to hate eating that as an adult, you don't mind eating at all today. And our feelings and our desires are the same way. They change over time. How many of you are doing the work that you thought you were going to do at 14 years old? Very few of us. We had an answer for what we wanted to be. We knew what we wanted to be at 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. But what we are and the work that we do often looks very different than what we said we were going to be or what we wanted to be because that desire shifts and changes over time. Some of us have watched some of our deepest desires change. We said to ourselves, I'll never get married. And then that person looked at us across the room and all of a sudden marriage was back on the table. Some of us said, I'll never have kids. And then one day we held someone's baby and we thought to ourselves, I got to have one for myself. (laughs) Some of us decided we were going to pursue work no matter what the cost. And as we went through life, we said to ourselves, you know what? Work is important, but other things are important too. And as we walk through life, our feelings change, our desires change. And if we're trying to base an identity on something that's shifting and changing, we put ourselves in a pretty precarious situation. All those internal feelings, all those internal desires, they move and they change with time. The way we feel about things, our experiences in life shift and change our desires and what we want. And so to base our entire identity on them is something that I would suggest to you is nearly impossible. That's the first problem I would say we have. The second problem I would suggest to you is that we are denying reality if we believe for a second external things do not shape who we are. There's this narrative in our culture that the world around me doesn't tell me who I am. I say who I am. But we're denying reality if we're not willing to admit that the culture that we're in, the external things around us, shape us and mold us. Pastor and author Timothy Keller in his book, Preaching, gives an example about this that I think is really helpful. About how culture shapes us and molds us, even when we think it doesn't. He says, imagine an Anglo-Saxon warrior from 800 AD. Now imagine this great fighter, this great ancient warrior, this barbaric sort of person was born with, with, with two uh, feelings or born with two proclivities. One is a proclivity to anger and violence. We would say in 800 AD, in the Anglo-Saxon world, as a great warrior, embrace the anger and violence. Be a great warrior. Let's say that this great warrior was also born with a proclivity to same-sex relationships. What would the culture say to him in 800 AD? They would say, bring out the anger, but suppress all that other stuff. Bring it out, the anger and the barbaric nature, but keep the other hidden. Take the same person, put him in midtown Manhattan today. What would we tell him as a culture? We would say, embrace the relationship, 
get counseling for your anger problem. You have a real problem with anger and violence. Get some counseling. We'll work it out. You see, because our society and culture shapes us more than we want to admit. There are external factors at play that teach us how to think and teach us how to live. And so to pretend for a second that we're choosing this all on our own, we're lying to ourselves. And here's the third problem we have. All of us crave external approval. We can pretend we don't. We can pretend that we're Elsa on the mountainside just declaring that we are free and no right, no wrong, no rules for me. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, but we care. When someone gets up on a stage in today's world, the narrative is you be who you are. You do you. No matter what anyone else says, just be who you are. But yet when someone gets up on stage and says, here I am, this is who I am, our crowds stand out to their feet and applaud. Why? Because the external approval matters. If the narrative was real, if the narrative was true, the crowd would just sit ambivalent. Good. Be who you are. But we feel the need to cheer. And we feel the need to receive the cheers. Because external approval matters to us. And so we put ourselves in our world today in a very difficult place. I'm supposed to look inside myself in an internal realization, figure out who I am. That I'm supposed to realize this identity. But while I'm realizing this identity, I have to ignore the reality that my desires and feelings change over the course of my life. I have to ignore the reality that the external things are shaping me. And I have to ignore the reality that I actually care what other people think. And we put ourselves in a very tenuous position. And is it no wonder why young people in our world and even older people in our world are having such a difficult time trying to figure out who they are and be okay living in it? Is it any, world, any, any, any uh, issue trying to understand why we live in a world where people are struggling and depressed with purpose and significance and satisfaction? We're asking them to figure out who they are and we're asking them to ignore the truth while they're doing it. Tell me who you are. Look inside yourself. Ignore the fact that your feelings change one day to the next. Ignore the fact that external things do really matter. Now, who are you? Be it. It's a bad place we put ourselves. But this is where the Christian faith steps in and tells us what is true. Let me tell you what is true. External realities matter. And here's the external reality. God created you. And when he did, we read right at the beginning of the book, he did something that we cannot forget. You read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says that when God, God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. When God created you, he did something. He put his image on you. You are his. And that external reality matters. God formed you and he shaped you. And the image of God doesn't mean that we look like him in our physical form. The image of God means that his thumbprint is on you and on your life. 
Yet as people that God has created, we're set apart from the rest of creation. That we are set in a place where we can have a relationship with him. And that external reality matters. Here's the other thing. Not only has God created you and put his image on you, God calls you to him. This is what he said to his people a number of years ago through a prophet named Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1, he said, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So you have a God who sits in heaven that created you and made you in his image. You have a God in heaven who calls to you and longs to have a relationship with you. And here's the best part. You have a God in heaven who offers you his approval. Not based on what we do, but what Jesus Christ has done. You see, we try to deny the fact that approval matters to us, but it does. So many people in today's world are still working to try to gain their parents' approval because it still matters to us. It still matters to us what other people think. It matters to us what other people say. We want people to like us, and we can try to deny that reality all we want. But we have a God who is willing to give us his approval, not based on anything that we have done, not because we're the perfect people, not because we figured it all out, but because of what his son has done. And when the Apostle Paul talked about this in his letter to the church in Philippi, this is the way he said it. I want to know Christ, he said, and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, not something that I've earned so that God gives me a gold star on his chart, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Here's how it works with God. He created you. He put his image on you. He loves you. He calls you to himself. And if you're willing to put your trust in Jesus Christ, he grants you his approval. And I can tell you that that approval means more than any approval you could ever gain on this earth. Here's the truth. True identity is not realized. It's received. Our true identity is not realized, it's received. You see, we ask this question, who am I? Who am I? And that question is so important to us. Here's the question I'd like you to think about this morning. Whose am I? Whose are you? Martin Luther stood before that council And he said to them, listen, if you're going to try to make me choose between what the word of God says and what you say, I'm going with the word of God every time because I'm his. And that's the sort of conviction that we need to have, that we can have when we recognize that our true identity isn't something we realize on our own. Our true identity is received from the God who has created us. And I can tell you that is one of the most freeing things we will ever realize. 
Because we can work our whole life to try to base our identity on the shifting sands of our desires. We can work our whole life to pretend like external approval doesn't matter to us and that we're choosing this all on our own. Or we can embrace the reality of who God is and how he has made us and receive that identity. And I can promise you there is far more freedom in receiving the identity that God is offering us and has created us in than coming up with an identity on our own. Jesus had these leaders come to him. And they said to him, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And then Jesus said this, verse 15. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius, that's a coin from the time, and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God's the things, to God the things that are God's. I once heard Ravi Zacharias, the great preacher and author, say, I wish there was a follow-up question to this. I wish someone had raised their hand and said, Jesus, what is God's? If we render the things to Caesar that are Caesar's and we render the things to God that are, God that are God's, then Jesus, what is God's? And the response would almost certainly be, whose image is on you? You are God's. He made you. He created you. He put his image on you. He calls you. And if you would put your trust in Jesus Christ and follow him, you have his unconditional love and acceptance. I'd ask you this morning if you'd be willing to accept that identity. If you're someone who's looking for identity elsewhere, and you know what? You can follow Jesus Christ for a long time and fall into the trap of starting to find your identity somewhere else. We follow Jesus Christ for a long time, but as life goes on, we start to try to find our identity in our family. We try to start to find our identity in our work. We start to try to find our identity in in other things that we think will make us happy. This is a call back this morning to find your identity in God alone. And here's the other question I have for you. If you've embraced your identity, if you received your identity from God, Are you living a life consistent with that identity? Does the way that you're living bear that identity out? If you're God's and his image is on you and he's calling you and you have his approval, is the life that you are leading consistent with that identity? I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. And I'm going to close us in a word of prayer. And then we're going to sing one final song. But as we close, I'd ask you to think about a couple of things. If you're in the room this morning, and you're someone who has been looking for your identity everywhere else but in God, I want to tell you that this morning is a morning that you can submit yourself to the God who created you and loves you and find your identity in and through him and experience true freedom. 
rather than try to base it on the shifting sands of your emotions and your feelings and your desires, rather than try to pretend that you don't want anyone else to care what you're like. You can come before God and know that you are created and loved and you have his approval through Christ. You have to surrender your life to him. You have to put your trust in him. But if you do and realize that identity that comes through him, I promise you'll experience freedom found nowhere else. And maybe this morning you're thinking you need to come back to this. You've wandered away from it. You've started to find your identity other places. With this morning and these next few moments, take a moment and just ask God that he would help you come back to where your identity should be. Stop trying to realize it inside of yourself and just receive it from him, what he's already given you. God loves you. He sent his son to die on the cross for you. He longs to give you his approval and acceptance. The only question is, will we look to find our identity in him? God, we thank you this morning for the way that you have loved us. Thank you that you have created us and we are yours. God, would we live lives in which we don't run around through this world trying to figure out who we are, but we know and trust that we are yours, that we are created and loved and accepted for because of who you are and the work your son has done. And would we then go and live lives consistent with our identity, not apologizing for it, but being confident in it. Here I stand. My conscience is submitted to the word of God. I can do no other because of who you are who we are in you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont Campus. At Mount Hope, we gather each week to learn more about God, grow in our love of God and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts area, we'd love to have you join us. We meet Sunday mornings in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and Sunday mornings in Belmont at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at our website, www.mounthope.org. Have a good day, and we'll see you back here next week.